Welcome to Crump Insights, exploring timely life insurance and retirement planning topics for today's forward-thinking financial professionals. In this episode, we focus on estate planning for women. I'm Brian Bushlack, your host for this series and an active life and health insurance producer. Joining us, Eileen Shovlin, Director, Business Development at Crump Life Insurance Services. Eileen, thanks for joining us. There's a real opportunity here with the shifting of wealth, particularly to women. Why is this so important for financial professionals and insurance producers? Well, I think that today there has been a huge shift, as you mentioned, in the wealth in the U.S. Women now control a third of the total U.S. household financial assets today. A woman by the name of Jean Statler, who is the CEO of the Alliance for a Lifetime Income, gave us some stats recently that this is almost more than $10 trillion of wealth and about $30 trillion is supposed to uh, shift into the hands of U.S. women over the next three to five years. So if you're a financial professional and you're not thinking every day how to better meet the needs of American women, then I feel like you're maybe just not paying attention. And so as we look at financial security for all and really empowering our clients, the economic strength of women in our country today is profound. And they're looking for advice and they're looking to our industry to focus on things that are specific to their planning. And with that, there are so many different roles here, not only women with careers in the workplace, but you look at the home as well. So many important roles that women play in our lives, right? Yes, absolutely. And a friend of mine over at John Hancock and I were talking last week about three different main personas that you just, you may think about, but you may not focus on when you think about the the female investor. And number one is just women that are high income earners. 41% of women in households say that they are the primary breadwinner. And we've seen numbers from different sources that women are making up to 90% of the financial decisions in American households. And when you move to the idea of the C-suite woman, uh, 44% of companies have at least three or more women in their C-suite, and that's up about 29% from five years ago. That is remarkable. And beyond that, too, you know, you talk about successful careers. I know and work with so many successful women in their career, but look at what happens at home, too. So important to have mom, the caregiver there. There are so many different roles, right? Absolutely. I mean, in addition to being what we'll call the CFO of their household, it looks like women make about 85% of consumer purchase decisions. And that includes computers and automobiles and stocks and and investment choices. And women tend to reinvest 90% of their income back into their family's well-being. So they're a huge influencer. And in addition to being what we'll call like kind of like the business owner of the household, nearly 13 million businesses in the U.S. are majority owned and operated and controlled by women. And these businesses generate more than $2 trillion in revenue for the economy. The other thing that factors in here, too, is longevity, right? I mean, women outlive men. So there's that as well. Absolutely. In 2020, there was another quote that said there was 8.8 million widows but just 2.6 widowers. 
So the longevity of women's or passing men is is pretty significant. And when you think about the boomer population and where we sit today, it's a pretty staggering statistic. And one of the things that happens with women when they outlive their husbands, there was another statistic that says 70% of women change their advisors within one year of their partner dying. And if $5 trillion of wealth is added to the global economy each year and women aren't feeling like their needs are being heard, it's a huge opportunity for people to focus in and really understand the decisions and the topics that women are interested in. And something else that's kind of scary is that almost 20% of women out there have a written strategy, but 40% have no written strategy at all. So this is such an untapped potential for advisors, but also such an education gap for women. About half the women out there do not own any life insurance. And a third of the women that do say they don't have enough coverage. So when you take all of this in totality and you look at how many women are the primary financial decision makers, but how many women don't feel like they've been adequately advised and how many women are underinsured, again, it gives our advisors such an opportunity to talk to that audience. Yeah, some statistics that are blowing me away, quite frankly. I mean, I want to rewind back to what you just said, that within a year or two of the husband passing, women are changing financial advisors. Run that bias again and maybe tell us why. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's been studies done by a variety of a lot of the wirehouses and, and the Alliance for a Lifetime Income, as I mentioned before. And because a lot of times the advisor is only speaking to for a heterosexual couple, they're only speaking to the male partner. They've done ocular studies where the financial advisor, even women financial advisors, spend more time looking and talking to the male in the partnership than the female. And so oftentimes women just don't feel like they're being heard. I was out at a uh, women's planning conference in St. Louis a couple years ago, and it was a room full of 15 women. And it was just general education on longevity and extended care planning. And after we did the meeting, women were coming up to us saying either that they were getting ready to change their advisor now, that they weren't going to wait until they were in panic mode and their husband passed to feel comfortable with their finances. But there were some women who just said, my husband's never going to change, but I want to make sure I have a plan in place if I'm ever now the primary decision maker in this financial partnership that I'm in. And I want to make sure I know who I can go to so I don't have that financial anxiety. That's very interesting. And with a profession here that is male dominated, let's be honest, right? Insurance, financial advisors, not so much, but what can a male financial advisor or insurance producer do to uh, connect with women better? Yeah. And I think quite frankly, I'll go back to something you just said. I think men are phenomenal advisors for women. And so a woman doesn't necessarily need a woman financial advisor. But as you just said, I think we all need to be better educated on, you know, frequent miscues that we might make when we're having conversations. Yes. So I think, you know, when you think about miscues, you know, as I just mentioned, assuming the man is the decision maker, we listen to statistics that women make a lot of those financial household decisions. So that might be a miscue. 
assuming that the couple's finances were merged and jointly invested. There are a lot of couples now that are managing their own portfolios autonomously and aren't necessarily doing all of their financial planning jointly. Assuming that women are more risk averse. I think that women are very risk aware, but really, you know, talking to a woman, understanding her values, understanding her relationship with money and help guiding her with that, I think is a real a perk to bring to a, to a female client. And assuming women are less knowledgeable than men about investing. And if you find out that the female does not necessarily have as much financial knowledge, giving her a safe place to ask questions and to get further clarification. So I think that if you assume equality in the decision-making and customize your engagement with women a little differently, I think that could go a very long way. I think miscue is a nice way of putting it too. So uh, and that information you shared is so valuable for our audience. So I, I appreciate uh, the insight there. And it leads to the estate planning, right? I mean, you've got a lack of or definitely a need for more life insurance here, women changing advisors. Uh, that is a tremendous opportunity when it comes to estate planning, right? Absolutely. And I think circling back to something you asked earlier about longevity, when you think about women outliving men and you also think about women traditionally as the caregiver for both, quite frankly, their kids, their parents, and then all, oftentimes themselves, I think the estate planning, not just estate tax planning, but the estate planning should absolutely look at the review of healthcare and what I'll call extended care costs. Women are much more likely to have a chronic health condition. They say six in 10 women ages 50 to 64 have a chronic health condition that needs to be monitored regularly. And they also say that the normal long-term care event, when you really look at the chronic critical event of being um, in some sort of facility, is more than double that of men. And unfortunately, another staggering statistic and one that hits home for me and my family is that 64% of Americans with Alzheimer's dementia are women. So those are things that I think we carry around as women. And one of the biggest things a financial advisor can do in the estate plan is what I'll say is solving for uncertainty, right? So if you're a little uncertain about what's going to happen and your advisor can come in and really vet those concerns, I think the job of a financial advisor ultimately is to remove financial anxiety, simplify somebody's life, reduce complexity, and really help dig in and solve for those uncertainties. And so by looking at portability of social security, by looking at how are you going to pay for extended care, by looking at the uses of different types of trusts so that your legacy plan is carried out the way that the female who generally, again, is going out live her, her male partner is done are all big, big, you know, what I'll call like flashing lights in an estate plan that if an advisor can really dig into that with their female clients, I think that that's a better way to retain that female client than just waiting until the, the event happens. Yeah. Well, and so many generational differences here, too. I mean, uh, we have, you know, a new era, right, in this business. And, you know, so this, for a lot of advisors out there, they're hearing this going, wow, you live this. But there are so many generational differences that need to be noted here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, I'm kind of right in the middle of kind of the, the generational divide. <laughs> and so it really fascinates me to look at, you know, the generations above me and below me and how do they look at money one of the things that really struck out when I talked earlier about men and women in partnership managing their own finances. Well, for women over 55, about half of women manage their own finances. For women under 45, about 75% 
retain the decision making for their own portfolio. And, you know, among married women, younger women are twice as likely than older married women to be the financial decision maker in the household. So I think that you have seen a shift where, you know, for the generations on the upper half of the demographic, you know, they enter marriage with the experience of managing their finances together. But, you know, again, in that other half of the generational divide, women enter marriage kind of in a financially advanced state and they're remaining financially independent. People are with the advent of the internet, right? Some people, you know, growing up with it, you do your own research. So you're seeing women even scoring better than their male counterparts on financial literacy. So I think that, you know, knowing your audience, understanding the things that are pain points for women, maybe more than men, and then just having a better, more well-rounded conversation with a couple and engaging the female client a little differently could go a very long way. Yeah, and I want to ask you that too. That's the ultimate question here is, you know, serving this audience and how can we do that? We touched on this earlier, but let's, you know, wrap this up with some positive coaching for our audience here on how to better serve the female investor. How do we do it? Well, I mean, this whole kind of presentation came into my head. I was talking with a wonderful male advisor that I work with and he asked me, I said, he said, I want to grow my business. What are some ideas you have this year? And I was on video with him and looked him point blank in the eye. And I said, are you marketing to people that look like me? Mm. And he was very confused for a second and asked me to explain. And I, and I, you know, I told him a little bit about myself and I said, and he said, no, I go to the golf club and I go to the country club and I'm interacting with, you know, other guys that look like me. And, and that's what I've been doing for the past 30 years. And he said, but you've just really hit on a huge point. And since then, he and I have put together three different seminars, one for a women business group that's in his area. We also put together a financially uh, financial fitness presentation for a very high-end health club. And that um, he has some friends that help run. So I think it's just thinking outside your, your traditional marketing and really understanding who am I talking to? Who am I reaching out with education to? And who am I asking to be my client? And I think once you get that woman in the room, engaging them about, you know, their families, their goals, their dreams for retirement, asking them about their loved ones and what would need to be done financially if they weren't here, asking about personal experiences with longevity in their own families, and then maybe even broaching, you know, if they've had a personal experience with extended care planning and what they might want to see happen. So having those types of conversations and asking those questions specifically to the woman in the room, I think is a powerful way to take a step forward. Well, Eileen, incredible insight. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Crump Life Insurance Services, a leading third-party distributor and service provider of insurance and retirement products, is part of Truist Insurance Holdings Incorporated, the seventh largest insurance broker in the world. Crump supports the distribution of life insurance, annuities, long-term care, linked benefits, disability, and health products with the industry's premier sales and back-office support and technology services. Marketing under the following brands, Crump, Truest Life Insurance Services, Risk Rider, TELUS, and Time. Source, Business Insurance Magazine, using 2019 brokerage revenue generated, 2020 issue. For financial professional use only, 
Not intended for use in solicitation of sales to the public. Not intended to recommend the use of any product or strategy for any particular client or class of clients. For use with non-registered products only. Crump operates under the license of Crump Life Insurance Services, LLC. Arkansas License 10010-3477. Products and programs offered through Crump are not approved for use in all states. Copyright 2023. Crump Life Insurance Services, LLC.